Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Culture Wars. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I want to take a look at a controversy that most of you who are involved with the pro-life movement, or at least uh, in any way peripheral to it, would have noticed already. And that has to do with this massive controversy that's been sparked in Canada over uh, the film Unplanned. And for those of you who haven't heard of this film, it's basically a biopic of Abby Johnson, who used to be the director at a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic in Texas. She released a book in 2012 recounting her experiences as a Planned Parenthood director, as somebody who has had uh, several abortions herself and then was eventually persuaded to come over to the pro-life side. And she now runs an organization called And Then There Were None, where she works to bring people who work in the abortion industry out of the abortion industry. And for any of you who are interested in hearing her talk about that experience, I actually had her as a guest on my other podcast, uh, The Van Maren Show. And you can find that at either thebridgehead.ca or at lifesightnews.com. Anyways, that's just a bit of background for why the film is so controversial. Because this company called Pure Flix made a movie based on her life. Uh, it was released to great fanfare in the United States, actually made quite a bit of money. Uh, and then this campaign started to bring this film to Canada. And one of the reasons this is interesting is because those of you who have followed along with Canada's abortion debate, or those of you uh, who even listened to episode one of The Culture Wars, where I take a look at the Canadian abortion debate and why our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, is so radical on this issue. Uh, this this film has, has, of course, attracted great controversy because abortion activists in Canada, uh, people like Joyce Arthur of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada uh, and, a, and a variety of, of inconsequential others, are just outraged at the idea that a story would be told from the perspective of a, a pro-life woman who didn't care for her experience with abortion and has things to say about her time inside the abortion industry. And some of you might remember a couple of episodes ago, I talked about um, violence in Canada leveled by abortion activists against pro-lifers. Well, Joyce Arthur of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, who frequently enjoys lying her face off about the pro-life movement and violence, uh, declared to whatever media outlet that would listen, and she even got quoted, I think, in The Guardian, a left-wing newspaper uh, in the United Kingdom, which she acted like she pretended that was a really big deal. I've been excerpted by The Guardian uh, before myself, so uh, whatever. Uh, but what she basically said was, look, this film, because uh, it is an anti-choice film, which is what she refers to uh, pro-life films as, uh, could trigger violence against abortion providers. And there's a couple of reasons that this is so stupid. Uh, the first reason is that this film is actually about somebody who worked in the abortion industry. Uh, it works very hard to uh, humanize uh, those who work in the abortion industry. And in fact, even the person who uh, plays the abortionist in the film, which is Dr. Anthony Levitino, uh, used to be an abortionist himself. So how a film about people who work in the abortion industry, uh, how they can change their minds, uh, what their experiences are like, how that would result in violence towards those working in the industry is mysterious to me, and I'm sure mysterious to uh, Ms. Arthur as well, who I'm sure has not seen the film, has probably not read Abby Johnson's book, and as usual has no idea 
uh, what she's actually talking about. But moving on from there, of course, she has to accuse pro-lifers of violence. And as evidence for this, she posted on Twitter one quote from some idiot who said um, that people who are against the film should go to China or something like that. Uh, But what's more interesting is that here's how the events actually went. So first... We have Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada director Joyce Arthur saying, if this film comes to Canada, uh, there will be violence. And then what happened was a theater that was in British Columbia that was planning to screen the film Unplanned actually backed away from those plans after the owner of the theater received death threats from abortion supporters. So Joyce Arthur of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada said violence would take place if the film came to Canada. And so far, as per usual, the violence that has resulted from this film, or I should say the threat of violence that has resulted from this film, comes entirely from her side. Which, as I've mentioned before, is no surprise because that is generally how abortion supporters in Canada respond to pro-life activists. Pro-life activists regularly face violence on the streets. Uh, And of course, violence is an inherent part of the abortion worldview. The abortion worldview is that you can use violence uh, to deal with a person that you find to be inconvenient. And so, of course, this sort of goes without saying uh, that the people on Joyce Arthur's side of the fence would be perpetrating violence against pro-life people. And so we're in this very strange situation where you have a whole bunch of of Justin Trudeau's minions like Miriam Monsef, who's a cabinet minister who has frequently condemned the organization I work for, the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, and is now condemning this film. It's it's really quite crazy uh, to see just how worked up Canadian abortion supporters and abortion activists get at the very thought that somebody could hold a different opinion and that they are so delusional they actually make claims about the sort of violence that their supporters perpetrate against pro-life activists and even when the only threat of violence that the film brings to Canada is from their side, uh, they run about screeching and lying even though it's obvious to anybody who can read a newspaper or view a fax objectively that they're just full of trash. But one of the things that I wanted to do on this podcast, uh, as a corollary to this whole uh, controversy about Unplanned, is to take a look at what abortion workers, and I mean a lot of abortion workers who actually work in the abortion industry, actually say about what goes on inside the abortion industry. Because, of course, again, uh, what Joyce Arthur gets wrong is this film is about people who work inside the industry, so the idea that this would trigger violence against people inside the industry is kind of lunacy. Uh, But she claims that this experience is inherently deceitful, and I actually have a whole chapter in my 2017 book, uh, Seeing is Believing, uh, Why Our Culture Must Face the Victims of Abortion, which you can purchase at thebridgehead.ca if you're interested. I have a whole chapter in this book on how abortion workers and those inside the industry have actually responded to, to seeing abortion for themselves. Because one of the things that a lot of the reviews are objecting to in this biopic of Abby Johnson is that it shows the graphic nature of abortion and shows reactions uh, to that procedure. And so let's take a look for a minute at what a range of different abortion workers have said. This is in their own words about seeing abortion. So I want to quote a section of a LifeSite News article from 2007. Um, 
And uh, take, take a listen to this for a second. For what is probably the first time in history, a television network in Spain has shown an abortion on national television. The video, shot during a hidden camera expose on Spain's abortion industry, shows a nurse injecting deadly poison into the fetus through the vagina of the pregnant woman, who then expels her dead child about five months old. The doctor immediately covers the body. The baby is born dead, his cradle a trash can, says the commentator in voiceover on the tape. An abortion of the baby, baby of a second woman is then also shown. After showing the second abortion, the commentator remarks, as soon as the baby is born, the doctor must cover it up. Nobody looks at it, and nobody examines it. Later, the undercover reporter examines one of the dead children. Hands, feet, a face, the cadaver of a human being, the commentator notes. The doctor, a woman, remarks that the baby is 21 weeks old, but says she, quote, never looks at the bodies of the fetuses. Never, asks the undercover reporter, who is posing as a doctor looking for work at the clinic. Never, the woman repeats. Never, never, never again. When asked why, the doctor says, because I don't like it. Of course, you are a mother, I assume, right? The reporter asks, and no answer is given. Now, this is quite interesting when you when you read that an abortionist herself does not like to look at the dead children. Why? Because of the visceral reaction she might have. An abortionist, Lisa Harris, described the experience of being pregnant while committing abortions in a 2008 issue of Reproductive Health Matters. And here is what her experience was in her own words. So this isn't a pro-life paraphrase of what she said. This is, this is her description of her experience. When I was a little over 18 weeks pregnant with my now preschool child, I did a second trimester abortion for a patient who was also a little over 18 weeks pregnant. As I reviewed her chart, I realized that I was more interested than usual in seeing the fetal parts when I was done, since they would so closely resemble those of my own fetus. I went about doing the procedure as usual, removing the laminaria I had placed earlier. Uh, the laminaria, for those of you who don't know, is, is sort of a seaweed that's placed in the cervix that, once wet, begins to swell, forcing open the cervix and allowing the abortionist uh, to access the womb, and confirmed that I had adequate dilation. I used electrical suction to remove the amniotic fluid, picked up my forceps, and began to remove the fetus in parts, as I always did. I felt lucky that this one was already in the breech position. It would make grasping small parts, like legs and arms, a little easier. With my first pass of the forceps, I grasped an extremity and began to pull down. I could see a small foot hanging from the teeth of my forceps. With a quick tug, I separated the leg. Precisely at that moment, I felt a kick, a fluttery thump-thump, in my own uterus. It was the one of the first times I felt fetal movement. There was a leg and a foot in my forceps and a thump-thump in my abdomen. Instantly, tears were streaming from my eyes, without me, meaning my conscious brain, even being aware of what was going on. I felt as if my response had come entirely from my body, bypassing my usual cognitive processing completely. A message seemed to travel from my hand and my uterus to my tear ducts, and it was an overwhelming feeling, a brutally visceral response, heartfelt and unmediated by my training or my feminist pro-choice politics. It was one of the more raw moments in my life. Doing second trimester abortions did not get easier after my pregnancy. In fact, dealing with the little infant parts of my born baby only made dealing with dismembered fetal parts sadder.
In other words, because she had a baby developing in her womb, dismembering babies of the same age was incredibly difficult for her. Again, listen to what she's saying in this quote. This is not, again, my paraphrase of her quote. This is me reading a abortionist testimony from a pro-choice publication. And one of the things that's important to remember here, too, is that many, many people who work in the abortion industry are haunted by dreams haunted by dreams of what they saw even when they remain in the industry and even when what they see does not change their minds. Let me give you one example from a nurse named Sally Tisdale. She wrote an essay that was published in Harper's Magazine in October of 1990, and it's called We Do Abortions Here. Uh, In this piece, and again, she's a pro-choice person, she calls abortion a sweet brutality, but listen to what she says. Listen to her descriptions, and I'm going to quote directly from her essay here. But when I look in the basin among the curd-like blood clots, I see an elfin thorax attenuated, its penciline ribs all in parallel rows of tiny knobs of spine rounding upwards. A translucent arm and hand swim beside. The girl asks to see it, sitting up. It's not allowed, I told her sternly. I have fetus dreams, we all do here. Dreams of abortions one after the other, of buckets of blood splashed on the walls, trees full of crawling fetuses. I dreamed that two men grabbed me and began to drag me away. Let's do an abortion, they said with a sickening leer. And I began to scream, plunged into a vision of sucking, scraping pain, of being spread and torn by impartial instruments that only do what they are bidden. That is the testimony of nurse Sally Tisdale on the effect of seeing aborted babies in basins, in buckets, in trash cans. Here's another example of something similar from a Mother Jones interview with notorious abortionist William Rashbaum. And it's interesting, when I say notorious, I mean notorious and unrepentant. But here's how Mother Jones, a very left-wing and very pro-abortion publication, uh, describes his experience. Quote, He was troubled by a recurring dream of a fetus trying to hold on to the walls of a uterus by its tiny fingernails. Raised to believe that abortion was wrong, he reasons, what kind of dreams do you think you're going to have? But one suspects that it's not the moral compass of his youth that was bothering him. Here's another quote. The procedure is gruesome as anyone who has seen it, including Rashbaum, will attest. One of his former summer interns remembers watching Rashbaum do a D&E, that means a dilatation and extraction, on well-developed twins one hot summer day. He intently leaned in closely and methodically, pulled piece after piece of the fetuses out of the mother's uterus, ignoring the attending staff's whispers of horror. It's twins, it's twins, they said to each other. The intern reacted violently, running home, throwing up, and asking herself, is this right? And in fact, there's actually one article in a medical journal that noted that abortion victims, uh, the bodies of aborted babies tend to linger in the memories of those who work in the abortion industry. Here's a, a quote from a medical journal, quote, Ambivalent periods were characterized by a variety of otherwise uncharacteristic feelings and behavior, including withdrawal from colleagues, resistance to going to work, lack of energy, and an overall sense of uneasiness. Nightmares, images that could not be shaken, and preoccupation were often commonly reported. Also common was the deep and lonely privacy within which practitioners had grappled with their ambivalence. Now, of course, somebody like Joyce Arthur of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada pretends she never grapples with ambivalence, but according to medical journals, according to the testimonies of abortion workers themselves, ambivalence is extremely common. And in fact, one book on late-term abortionists said that they actually had to suppress 
suppress their reactions, had to suppress the natural instinct they felt towards the humans they were tearing apart in order to keep going. And and one ab- abortion worker actually spoke of recurring nightmares where she was, quote, stuffing a baby into the mouth of an antique vase. The baby was looking at me with a pleading expression. Many abortionists wonder, for example, if the babies feel pain. And here's one really interesting quote that I found. And by interesting, I mean, I mean this is appalling, but it's really revealing. Uh, one journalist named Magda Deans captured the reality of how people respond to abortion uh, in her book, Necessity and Sorrow, Life and Death in the Abortion Hospital, uh, where she spent a bunch of time basically observing how abortions are done and then reporting on that. And here's what she said, and I quote, Sensibility is blunted through exposure. After weeks of trailing Holzman, that's the abortionist, from OR1 to OR2, my sense of meaning dulls. I begin to see cases, cervical apertures, fetal tissue. I worry about snags and tempo during operations, but no differently from the way I worry about an unfamiliar noise in the motor of my car. One time, the circulating nurse loses her wedding ring during surgery. She discovers the loss at the end of the operation as the orderly is about to take the bloody sheets out onto the floor. She takes the filled plastic bag from the wastebasket and empties it into the middle of the sheets. Both kneel with their bare, and with their bare hands rummage frantically in the pile of placental tissue and blood and chopped up fetal body parts. It has to be here, she says, nearly in tears. We'll find it, he reassures her. I'm all for them. It's frightful to lose one's wedding ring. Hours later, when the scene reasserts itself in my mind, I do not recognize myself. Is inhumanity a habit? Is indifference to the result of attrition of is indifference the result of the attrition of meeting? If so, one must watch the self like an enemy. Keep in mind too, when, when you hear a phrase like chopped up fetal parts, we're talking about arms and legs and heads and faces that have been severed apart, cut apart. And that what she's describing here is a nurse hunting for her wedding ring in a pile of carnage, in a pile of chopped up babies. That's what that's what she's saying, and that's what she's looking from. And it's it's just something that, well, it's interesting, right? Because, for example, the organization I work for, the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, uh, distributes postcards that show what abortion looks like. We go to door-to-door, we, we, we hold signs that show people what abortion actually is, and we get constantly told that our images are not accurate. But if you want to read the testimony of abortion workers, and I've just read you a handful there, I could read you, well, quite literally, I could read you hundreds of these, hundreds of these. Um, and again, in chapter three of my book, Seeing is Believing, Why Our Culture Must Face the Victims of Abortion, I have dozens of these testimonies, descriptions, uh, firsthand descriptions uh, by abortionists of the work that they do. And this is what they say it looks like. They talked about chopped up bo- uh, fetal parts. They talk about pulling legs off, pulling arms off, crushing skulls. This is their language. This is their language, not mine. Uh, right? She just used the phrase chopped up. And just because that happens to be accurate, um, it's so interesting that the abortion activists in Canada, because they've managed to dominate and seal off the conversation for so long, pretend like abortion isn't a brutal procedure that decapitates, dismembers, and disembowels a preborn human being developing in the womb. One of the things I often do is when somebody says the pictures of abortion victims are fake, I say, well, I want you to imagine the last sonogram you saw, the last ultrasound photo you saw, you know, the last picture of a baby in the womb, maybe it's from National Geographic, maybe it's from Life magazine, maybe it's from Time magazine. And once you've imagined that, so imagine that in your head for a moment, what do you think that baby looks like after the abortionist is done with it? What do you think that baby looks like once the abortionist is done with it? 
And then they're forced to paint a picture in their own mind of what abortion actually looks like. But it's just so interesting because abortion activists claim that abortion isn't gory, that it's not gruesome, that our pictures are fake. Now they claim that this film, Unplanned, which is the testimony of somebody who worked in a Planned Parenthood clinic for years. Abby Johnson was the director of a large Planned Parenthood clinic. She actually worked in the back room and she actually saw the fetal body parts, the, uh, the, the POC room, products of conception, they called it. Uh, she actually saw an abortion on screen. She saw a baby, as it were, fight the, su- the suction aspirator that eventually disintegrated it into bloody slurry. She saw these things. Uh, and if you don't want to believe her because she's on the pro-life side now, most of the testimonies I just read out are from abortion workers and abortionists who still work in the industry. They haven't left. Uh, they describe what Abby Johnson describes, and they still work in the abortion industry because they've sealed off their conscience with blood. The blood is scabbed over, and nothing nothing can permeate that now except for the grace of God. And it's just it's so it's so delusional for them to claim. Uh, that abortion isn't the procedure that abortionists themselves admit that it is. And that just it shows you something, doesn't it? It shows you something about Joyce Arthur of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada. It shows you something about the squeamish pro-choice politicians who champion abortion but won't look at it. It shows you something about their own conscience, that they can't admit our pictures are accurate because if they admit that our pictures are accurate, they'll be forced to admit that they are defending barbarism and that the babies that were butchered were also their babies, that maybe their decisions resulted in a human child looking just like the pictures that we are revealing to the public. And that is something they would have to grapple with and something perhaps that they wouldn't be able to deal with. As I read you a few testimonies of, of abortion workers who dream, who dream of the babies that were aborted, right? Babies clinging to the inside of the womb desperately, trying to stay alive when the abortionist's entire job is to make sure that it's dead, to make sure that it is killed. These are the things that abortion workers go through. So if if you don't want to believe Abby Johnson because she's on the pro-life side of the fence now, if you want to think that her experience, as laid out in her 2012 book Unplanned and the recent film of the same name, there are dozens and dozens of testimonies actually laid out by abortion workers who are still in the industry, who have the same politics and the same positions as somebody like Joyce Arthur of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, and they're saying the same things, and in fact, many of these things are probably even more gruesome than what Abby Johnson describes in her book. All you have to do is go online, and you have to watch the undercover films put out by David Delyden and the Center for Medical Progress of casual discussions between abortion workers about eyeballs falling into their lap during abortion procedures over their desperation to get rid of the corpses about the heads that get stuck in the birth canal and won't come out. You can go uh, over to thebridgehead.ca and take a look at an article I wrote summarizing the Planned Parenthood expose videos called We're Burning Babies and read their first-hand testimonies, direct quotes. Again, not stuff I made up, not my paraphrase, my description of what they do. This is their description. And whenever I think about abortion dreams, whenever I read about the dreams that abortion workers have, I'm always reminded of a line from the ancient poet, poet uh, Aeschylus. It's a, it's a powerful, I, I forget when I first heard uh, this, this stanza, but it's stuck in my head ever since, and I can, I can quote it now from memory because it reminds me of abortion dreams so vividly. And Aeschylus writes the following, 
Even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart. Until our own despair comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. Abortion activists need to deny that abortion is the act of violence that they see because that would mean they will have to grapple with something that they cannot bear to grapple with. And so when when people like Joyce Arthur of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, when abortion activists point to photographs of aborted babies, point to diagrams and medical textbooks put there by people who perform abortions, and the testimonies, as I've just read to you, from people who perform abortions themselves and say, none of that is true. What they're basically saying is, who are you guys going to believe anyways? Me or your lying eyes? Thanks for joining me this week. I hope you join us again for the next episode of The Culture Wars. You can find us at thebridgehead.ca, where both of my podcasts and weekly regular updates from the front lines of The Culture Wars can be found. Thank you so much for joining us again. Have a great week.